0: Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And for the first time in a long time, we're doing this live on Twitch.
1: That means you could see our beautiful faces. If you so choose, you could log right into Twitch, take a gander at uh, both of our flowing locks. We're, we're now long-haired individuals, as opposed to probably the last time we did something like this, when we were fresh and clean-cut and ready to face the world with a bit more vigor than we have these days.
0: Yeah, I mean, we did the... Uh, Red Bull Untapped Finals, like not, not this last one, but the one before. And I think at that point, yep. my hair my was already pretty long.
1: Yeah. How long ago was that? It, f- it feels like 20 or 30 years, but I feel like it was more recent than that.
0: It was like a decade ago, man. I don't know. Anyway, okay. twitch.tv slash arena deck If you want to like catch the VOD or anything, I'm also going to be streaming some standard after this. And what brought this about? You may ask. Well, we kind of got laid off, <laughs> so we're looking for other stuff to do for money. We're over here dancing for nickels. We appreciate any and all help. And yeah, that's why we're here.
1: Yeah. I am. I am now the, if you've ever been to like a state fair, uh, at least like a New York state fair, there's always somebody there who has the two trained small monkeys and they they tip their cap to you and they come over and they take your money. That is now what we do professionally.
0: What happens if the monkey comes up to you, tips its hat and you don't give him anything?
1: Uh, they they know for the most part not to try like try and take anything that isn't money like they're they're looking okay. for the hard cash they're not really interested in anything else and I think like the trainer is probably like directing them to some extent too yeah whatever this is this is a horrible practice like there's no way they should be allowed to do this <laughs> yeah but, of course obviously uh, it it does exist and it's kind of making me think of how many other horrible things there are at state fairs did you have state
0: fairs where you grew up oh yeah.
1: Yeah. And they're just I, like I, this. We
0: weren't fancy enough for monkeys, though, man.
1: You didn't have the monkeys? No. Okay. Well,
0: no, we, we just had like deep fried stuff.
1: Let me tell you something. There is nothing fancy about the Cobal Scale Sunshine Fair. And if, if anyone has any inkling of what that is like, it's one of the least fancy places on earth. And I'm, I'm shocked we got the monkeys, honestly.
0: I believe you, Brian. We have the entire Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Set out just released on Arena and everything, so we got a top ten show. And this one is kind of weird because some of the the more more recent sets we've kind of like struggled to get ten cards on the list. And this one was like, well, there are a bunch of good cards, but it's all relatively flat in power level, and a lot of the cards are kind of interchangeable too. So I think all the cards on the top ten are very good, are going to see a lot of play in standard, but. You know, if you're like, well, what about the next 10 best cards? You know, I think those are the top 10 and these aren't or whatever. It's like, yeah, whatever. It's it's all pretty much the same.
1: Yeah, very close as far as I'm concerned. And I am optimistic this set does some good things for standard. The same. most exciting things is that I, I think it really does push several new archetypes. Many of them are focused around kind of the same core, but I do think they're legitimate. And I am... Hopeful they're going to contend with the stuff that's already out there. Certainly the odds are so much better now that Epiphany's gone. I, I think that was a huge unlock. But m- maybe this could have done the job anyway. I don't think it was worth the risk. Don't get me wrong. like I, I wouldn't have taken that chance. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a lot here. A lot of really fun stuff. A lot of interesting stuff. I've, I've played some games today. I got to jam a quick couple matches before we got together here. And I had a really good time. I, I like the style of deck I get to play. I felt... Very competitive. Uh, granted, I have been demoted to bronze again, so you know, take oh, that yeah. with a grain uh, of salt. But I'm
0: in bronze for sure.
1: Yeah, but but the deck did feel good. So th- there's there's a lot of interesting stuff here for sure.
0: Uh, I posted some lists in our Discord for the folks that are in there if they Very want nice. some. And then again, I'll be playing probably some of those decks after this. And I've been kind of troubleshooting Twitch issues like all morning trying to get this set up. So I haven't had a chance to play yet, but I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, it seems like we are we are good to go and, and ready to roll on Twitch now, and hopefully everyone will stick around and watch you break Standard in half right off the bat. First, day. Yeah,
0: easy game. Yeah. Kids still got it. Number 10, I'm going to click this button on Twitch, and I hope that it shows up on the screen. Are you ready? Come
1: on, number 10. You have displayed Reckoner Bankbuster to the
0: Boom. world. Boom. All right, two-mana article or pff, artifacts, vehicle, 4-4, four, four. This enters the battlefield with three charge counters on it. You can pay two, tap it, remove a charge counter from Reckon or Bankbuster draw card. Then if there are no charge counters on this, create a treasure token and a one, one colorless pilot creature token with this creature group cruise vehicles as though it's power were two greater. And that's crew three. So you brought this up as an allegory to Maze Mind Tome is, as, as far as like a direct replacement for that card. I don't think it fits, but the upside is that this card also just does a bunch of other stuff. So when building decks for this format, uh, aggressive creature decks, decks that are based around vehicles, I found myself wanting to include a few of these in the 75 almost no matter what. Like sometimes it was main deck, sometimes it was in the sideboard. But having this thing that's a reasonably priced vehicle that can also be a card drawing engine is pretty nice.
1: Some of my early notes on this card is that I thought it could be ubiquitous. I think it kind of fits absolutely everywhere. Like... In aggressive decks, it is that refill that you need in probably post-board games. I don't think you're like leaning on this in game ones in a lot of instances, but you get to just that kind of play pattern where you're out of all this gas, but Reckoner Bankbuster makes it so you never really are because it's both threat and card advantage. And that played out exactly in that fashion in the games I played today where I did get to play Reckoner Bankbuster.
0: What, what what kind of deck were you playing? I like saw your tweet, but just quickly moved past it to like post my thing, so I didn't actually get to take a look.
1: Yeah, so I, I got to play, like I said, a couple matches. I played a couple with the like Mardu vehicles-ish list. I wouldn't really call it Mardu vehicles because it's very much focused on Oni Cult Anvil and card advantage and just kind of being really grindy, not really super focused on the vehicle package, but I have this in the sideboard where it's very good. And then I played it vehicles, which is more vehicle focused you know the mind link mech type setups and again from the sideboard i just had points where i was like okay i'm the control deck now i want to shift to that role and this enabled it really really well while still being like okay if i have to play a more aggressive game i still have the capacity to do that this isn't like a blank in those scenarios but if i just want to kill all of your stuff record or bankbuster allowed me to do that as well so
0: Yeah, I like it. I think it's going to show up in a lot of spots, like good in mid-range, good in aggro, potentially fine in control decks. It could matter,
1: yeah. I mean, like making a threat that could pressure opposing Planeswalkers while still netting you three cards over the course of a long game. That's pretty appealing to me.
0: Yeah, so uh, one of the cards that, it's like, yeah, I could see where this would show up in a lot of spots, but also if it's just like a four of in every deck, I would not be super shocked. So maybe number 10 is a little bit too low. We've seen this happen a lot with colorless cards that just end up being pretty good everywhere. And this sort of fits the bill, albeit in a different manner than we're used to, you know, so it's yeah, kind of hard I to evaluate. I think
1: vehicles are one of the cards that have the most potential to do that, and we've seen that. With Smuggler's Copter, we've seen that with Heart of Kieran to a somewhat lesser extent. But, you know, these these two cost generic vehicles can get a lot of work done for sure.
0: All right. Number nine, Oni Cult Anvil. BR Artifact. Whenever one or more artifacts you control, leave the battlefield during your turn. Create a 1-1 Colorless Construct Artifact Creature Token. This ability triggers only once each turn. You can tap, sacrifice an artifact. This deals one damage to each opponent. You gain one life.
1: I think they have put basically every safety valve you could put on a card <laughs> like this, and I still think it's pretty good. It's not going to do the degenerate stuff, but
0: my my first read through, I was like, okay, I'm getting the white black Sam Black card vibes. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, something concealed. No,
0: I had I had it and then I lost it. it Two man enchantment that you made like a one one on every, yeah. every turn, right? Yeah, and but it is- just
1: always did it. it. You just couldn't miss the one one.
0: Yeah, and this this only triggers on your turn, so it's like, okay, that's kind of sad, but like this really just feeds itself really well. And if you have any sort of like sacrifice matter stuff, this matters a lot. This works with artifact synergies. This combines with, if you want to go into like alchemy or whatever, uh, the sanguine bloodstroke, making a blood artist type of stuff. It's like, oh, well, that's like another thing that those decks kind of wanted, and I think it could fill that role in the standard list as well with Meat Hook Massacre.
1: Extremely good with the blood tokens as a source of artifact stuff. Extremely good like just on its own. If you're playing enough artifacts, once this triggers once, you can sort of use it as a uh, super slow but grindy engine. And super good with the card that I, I don't think we actually put it on our top 10 list. You're going to have to refresh me name of the one mana red card that when it comes into play, you get to do the, the red draw card stuff.
0: Yeah, we did not, because we were going to talk about it here. Exper- okay. Experimental Synthesizer.
1: Experimental Synthesizer. Do you have the text of that in front of you, readily available?
0: Uh, R, Artifact, ETB, or Leaves Play. I, I got you.
1: I, I think I can run it. ETB, or Leaves Play, exile a top card at your library. You can play it this turn. Also, for two colorless and a red, you can sack it, and it puts a 2-2 Vigilance creature into play.
0: Activate only as a sorcery.
1: Activate only as a sorcery. So... That card combined with Oni Cult Anvil, you have a very, very easy way to get both cards out of it. Basically, at the time you want to, in my games I played, it worked. It was exactly what I thought it would be. And pulling that kind of utility out of your one mana artifact is big time. Like that's modern power level stuff right there. And you have to work for it. But when you're playing Oni Cult Anvil, you're you're not really working for it. Like you just want this card anyway. It's a very free package to include. And I I was kind of shocked at how good it was. I thought it would maybe come up a little bit less than my expectations, but it, it, it absolutely hit. I think those two cards in tandem with each other are going to do a lot of work in the standard format.
0: How many synthesizers were you playing?
1: Four. I had the full four.
0: Okay. Was it ever awkward to, you know, it's like, obviously it's not a thing that you want to play on turn one or whatever. So like, when, when did you find yourself like actually casting it?
1: So because of the nature of my deck, it's just loaded with one drops and two drops. It literally capped out at two. So it was not a scenario where I could ever find myself without the mana to play it. So a lot of it was just sitting around and waiting until I had burned through my early stuff, which is very focused on my aggressive creatures, my Oni Cult Anvil, my Oswald Fiddlebender, which in conjunction with Oni Cult Anvil was Absurd! It was so so good. I was shocked at how good it was. I just pulled all my portable holes out of my deck, and my opponent never mounted an offense again.
0: Okay. Um, when I was so, when I was building those decks, I was like, well, you kind of need to include four treasure vaults because you need a zero to sack. But I guess this does it.
1: Yeah, this does it for you, which yep. I didn't immediately anticipate. So I, I get your concern where like you can't play it on turn one; it'll never really fix you maybe on turn two like if you need a land drop you might get super lucky but it's not set up for that it's set up for later games you have to absolutely focus your deck around it good news there are incredible one mana and two mana cards in this set more good news most of them are artifacts so all these synergies just fit all over the place and like i wrote about this week i think artifacts are really the standout card type of the set and i thought it was going to be the sagas the flip sagas. Which I believe we only have one of on this list. They're, they're all good. It's just the artifact stuff is better. I they guess? get
0: overshadowed.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think, I think if, so.
0: If the sagas were in like the last couple sets, they would probably have a bigger impact. But now it's just like, oh, well, let's do the vehicle stuff, the artifact matter stuff, the sacrifice stuff, red modified creature stuff. You know, all yeah. of those things are just like, what sagas? You know, it's yeah. like maybe there's one that fits into a deck or whatever, but you're not building around them or. If, if our
1: list was 15 cards, maybe it starts to make it. If it's 20 cards, it almost certainly starts to make it. Yeah. But uh, I think they're fine cards. It's just there's a lot of fine cards here.
0: Well, number eight, Michiko's Reign of Truth. One dub, Enchantment Saga. Chapter one and chapter two are the same. Target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each artifact and or enchantment you control. Chapter three, exile this saga, then return to the battlefield transformed under your control. And the backside is a zero-zero enchantment creature, human noble that gets plus one, plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control. Were you playing this in your Mardu deck?
1: Yes. Okay. Yep, my, my first build did have it. I, I tweeted a second build that did not have it because I was so impressed with how the post board games played. And I was like, oh, I can just be super grindy, which is what I obviously want to do. Like I don't yeah. ever want to have to attack. I just want the game to go on forever. But my initial build was Michoko's Reign of Truth with the cheaper artifact creatures. And again, it worked. It, it just did what I thought it would do. In, in the early game, it's somewhat lackluster, but in the late game, it's huge. There's so many artifacts you have on the battlefield in these decks. You're getting plus 5-5, five, five, plus 6-6, six, six, and then you just get a huge threat on the backside for two mana. And like I said, with all of these sagas, the output is almost always there. They're just glacially slow. So I think this is going to be, and even in the decks that really want it, I could see moving away from this card inside board games a lot of the time. Like it's a very much game one card where you're just trying to sort of be linear, goldfish, execute your plan as efficiently as possible. When things get a little dicier, I'll probably be moving away a lot from Michoko's Reign of Truth. And that's what inspired me to build a version of the deck without it. But still, you can't deny the explosiveness of this card. And there are many happy recipients of plus one, plus one. Some of them which have double strike, which is (laughs) quite efficient.
0: When uh, I was building decks this week, I I was initially pretty excited about this card. And then you look at like the white aggro decks where they don't have a ton of early game. You have like a a jackal pup artifact creature, uh, but not a lot of, you know, one man of things, unless you want to play like the arcbound worker type of stuff. So I was just like, do you really want like four copies of this in your deck? Do you just jam it on turn two and hope that by the time like turn five rolls around that you're just getting on the battlefield pretty quickly or whatever. And obviously it in those middle stages of the game is like a little bit stronger, but then you're not getting the reward of like the backside really. Like you're kind of hoping the game ends before that. So it's like, ah, this right. is just like so hard to evaluate without actually playing the games. And I just found myself kind of like cutting it from decks a lot of the time, rather than just assuming that it was going to be good. So this is one of the cards that I'm interested to play with
1: today. Here's here's what I will say. It's more of a red card than it is a white card. Right. And yeah. that's th- that's really the key to this. I can't really envision what a white deck looks like that I want to, at least in standard, obviously in older formats, I think this merits some consideration in the type of decks where it obviously matters. merits consideration. Things like, you know, Auras and Pioneer should at least look at this card. And when it comes to standard, it's it's the red creatures that really push us to the next level, and there's multiple good ones, like really, really good ones, a, sh- a shockingly high number of them. So,
0: yeah, it's a good set for red cards for sure. Yep. All right, next at sushi, the blazing sky two R R four four. Legendary Creature, Dragon Spirit, Flying Trample. When this dies, choose one. Exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards or create three treasure tokens.
1: I think Atsushi has a lot of potential, but this is the card on this list that is most dependent on what everyone does around it, as far as I'm concerned. Because if... Exile-based removal just becomes the default. This card is virtually unplayable, right? Like, I, I just am not willing to take the risk that I'm going to run into a field full of Vanishing Verses against Atsushi. I think you're in a really bad spot there. But... If the removal is much more focused on actual damage and not say Fading Hope is another card that I'm worried about as far as Atsushi goes that I think could really limit its effectiveness. And also there's good competition for this card. Like you have to think about Moonvale region. And, you know, if you go back to other formats like Alchemy, you're thinking about Town Rose Tyrant. So this is a very crowded mana cost with a lot of really good dragons, but still... Any card that can ramp you from like four to eight, it's sort of doing its own thing. It's unique in that fashion. Now, granted, you're going to have to be able to uh, reliably get the payout here. Otherwise, it's just not going to be worth the four mana. But in, in the best world, I believe this is a format defining card. I expect the truth of this card is going to be a lot more mild than that. And it's just going to see some
0: spot play. So many of the cards on this list are pretty easy to see how they could show up in multiple places. Whereas this isn't necessarily one of them. And I think the, the dragon typing matters a lot because we still have dragons fire and it's probably still one of the better removal spells in the format. And is it dragons kind of remains intact? You know, it had like two, two cards banned from it, but it's, it's still pretty reasonable. You know, it's like you have still the removal of the card drawing the big threats. And I think that that package is still solid. And I think that this card slots in pretty well into that deck, but outside of that it's like where's the obvious home for this i have no idea
1: yeah same read i mean like i can i can build you a big red deck and i feel like i basically build a big red deck at every set and they all suck and (laughs) i'm like this time it's going to be different i i don't really think this time it's going to be different i think it's got a lot of the same problems but you can do it and maybe that will have a moment as well
0: number six Moon snare prototype, you artifact, tap and tap an untapped artifact or creature you control, add colorless, channel for you, discard this. The owner of target non-land permanent puts it on the top or bottom of their library.
1: Part of me is concerned that this card should be a lot higher. Yeah. Again, flat. Uh, Everything's kind of flat. But if there is a card that could be format defining in this set, it's, it's probably moon snare prototype. Because if you allow the artifact-focused decks to play at that accelerated mana pace, something that you know typically only the green decks in the format have access to in the early game. And then when you get to the mid-game, you start looking at treasure packages and more decks get ahead of curve. But when it comes to the first two to three turns, the fact that the artifact decks may now be playing on that other level is really intriguing to me, especially when all the artifacts are so good again. Like I I just keep coming back to that point. All the artifacts kind of synergize with each other. They ask you to play a bunch of artifacts and then you get paid for it. Moonsnare prototype feels no different to me. It's just a one mana mana rock is incredible. The fact that it turns into a removal spell after that is way more than I would ask for.
0: Yeah. If if there was any card on this list that has the potential to be kind of busted as far as... You know, providing that early advantage. We've seen formats where it's like one deck gets access to a Land of War Elves type of card and no other decks do, and it's like, well, you need a really good reason to not play with Land of War Elves at that point. Right. And this could very easily end up being the same thing. I think that if we're talking about modern, like Slam Dunk, you know, like most impactful card in the set or whatever, but do the same tools really exist in Standard to make this card that powerful and? I think the jury's still kind of out on that, but this is going to be in the first deck that I play for sure. Because this is, again, like potentially busted in the context of standard just for the mana ability. And then, yeah, it just like becomes a removal spell later on is kind of absurd.
1: Yeah. So let's just talk one mana artifact creatures. You have the the vehicle thing, the 2-1 in white. You have the monkey battery, no, rabbit battery in red. Which I'll have more to say about that card in a little bit. You have another red reconfigured creature that is the monkey thing, Simeon Sling. Simeon Sling, yeah. You have the red haste creature that bounces itself a bunch, which nah, not really looking for that in conjunction with Moonsnare Prototype. No, but no, thank you. There's just so many options in, especially again, red. Red was just the huge winner of this set in my eyes it synergizes so well with so many of the other cards I'm hyped about. So a lot of red decks for me this go around.
0: Yeah. Same. Uh, number five, thundering ride two RR three, three creature spirit haste. Whenever this attacks, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Then this deals X damage to each opponent where X is the number of modified creatures you control. Other than this four mana, three, three haste is a reasonable baseline this doesn't get any benefit from attacking alone, which is a little bit awkward. And I'm kind of curious to see how the moder- the modified decks are going to play out, where it's just like, you know, are, are you really going wide or are you going tall in a lot of these instances? So, like, how much damage is this thing going to be dealing? Are, is it likely that you're attacking with, like, a creature with a reconfigure card on it and the Raiju, at which point, like, you're only getting a damage out of it? I still think that that output is good enough, but it is probably less of a big deal than it looks upon reading.
1: So that's not accurate though, right? Because you you get the benefit just from itself. So this attacks as a 4-4 the first time, and then it deals X damage where X is the number of modified creatures you
0: control. Oh, okay. So this made your
1: list, and it's quite a bit better than you thought it was.
0: Yeah, so I, I read the other than this. Uh, for the counter thing. So yeah, okay. Putting a counter on itself does matter, but you don't get the, the extra damage out of it. Okay.
1: No, you, I think you do. I think you do get the one damage if you put the counter on itself because it, you do the plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Then Thundering Raju deals X damage to each opponent where X is the number of modified creatures you control. Oh, other. Other, other okay. than this. Yeah, that's so where that, the other is. Yeah,
0: that's, that's okay. where I was getting hung up on it. So, yep. okay. 4-4 four, four haste is better if, yep. if you have nothing else. That was kind of what I was concerned about was like you just end up with Uh, nothing battlefield and then like you have this thing that you've been waiting to play all game and you just get kind of like no payoff from it so it's like 4-4-Haste is a little bit better I mean people are playing like Uvenwald Oddity uh, in in the green decks already so it's like yeah this is basically the same thing like maybe maybe dies to a 3 damage burn spell before it gets the counter but that's very small.
1: Yep and those have to be played before that matters I'd I'd rather see that first although there are good 3 mana burn spells out there or 2 mana burn spells especially in this set but I think the fact that this is always attacking as a 4 4 as the baseline means that this is sort of a missing piece for red aggressive decks. They haven't really had the curve topper that's been as aggressive as you might want. They had good curve toppers in, like, again, Moonvale Regent comes to mind as a way to build red decks that I really liked. And I, I thought it was a decent card, but it lacks some of that explosiveness. And the fact that it's going to be easier to set up modified creatures given what the other red cards in this set do. I feel like I'm just repeating myself over and over. We'll get there, buddy.
0: We'll get there. there,
1: There's good synergies here. So I, I envision a lot of early games that you can play in a fashion where when this comes down, it will do an additional two damage right off the bat. And that is exciting output from this card. Think about how important Hellraiser was when it was a standard legal card. And granted, we're talking night and day, different
0: worlds. What um, Was it? Oh no! I'm thinking Helldozer. Uh, Hell Dozer. Hell is the card.
1: Hellrider, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Is,
0: is Hellraiser a magic card? I know it's a
1: Hellraiser movie. is a movie, I believe. So no, probably, probably not. But you get what I'm saying. Three, yes. three haste, spread damage around. That card was extremely important, and I don't think it's that hard to modify your creatures. So I expect Raju to be quite good.
0: Yeah, but a, a lot of the ways to modify end up like putting a reconfigure thing on your other thing, right? Which takes away like one of your creatures. Kumano faces on I think, is, like, one of the better ways where yep. it ends up being, like, a creature and it modifies one of your things. Yep. And so having things like that is good. That that gives me hope for, like, oh, this could, like, maybe go super wide. But all the other stuff is, like, well, it's it's reconfigure-based kind of thing. So that kind of just means that you're going tall and not wide. So it's sort of weird. So I, I think that this is, like, you know, overall worse than Hell Rider or whatever. But, like, that card was, you know, always good enough to see standard play, basically. So
1: Right. Ultimately, I, I wouldn't stress it is where right, I fall yeah, on it. Yeah, like, exactly. like doing the thing where it's making a bigger body as well is going to be relevant a lot of the time. And, you know, spreading out your impact across the battlefield. So if you do lose your Thundering Raju to a removal spell, you're not completely losing out on all of its payout. That's beneficial as well in some scenarios.
0: So I'm not off base here, though, right? It's, it is super weird that one of the things is like it works with itself, but the other one doesn't.
1: Well, it, it tripped you up one way and then it tripped me up the other way. Yeah. So I, I would say it's probably a little weird.
0: And it has, you know, a pretty solid amount of text, too, so it's kind of easy to get tripped up in that. So. Uh,
1: this, is, this is the wordiest Magic set of all time, turns out. I saw that. Would you have guessed that? Because to me, this doesn't actually feel as wordy as some of the sets we've been through recently.
0: It feels wordy, but it's not like, I think Kaldheim maybe had more DFCs or something. Mm. So it sort of felt that way, but I don't know. I, it was also unclear whether or not it was counting like flavor text and reminder text and stuff like that. Okay. Which which I do think matters because, you know, once you get the modified text, you don't really have to pay attention to that part on this card. So,
1: No, for sure. Uh, and also, I think, like, the nature of sagas is to be very wordy. That's just how they're set up. But they aren't as complex as they are wordy, if that makes sense. Like, despite the fact they have a bunch of words you get to deal with in pieces and their effects, uh, I don't know, they're, for me anyway, they're easier to parse than a typical heavy worded card. And now we put more words on the back of them, so...
0: Right. I, I, that's where the problem comes in is when you start DFCing them too. Yeah. I mean, there's like the, the Jugen one where it's a wall of text on both sides and you're like, damn,
1: I'll just skip it. Somebody will read it to me eventually.
0: Yep. Uh, it's, it's mythic. Hope I don't open any <laughs> number four hotshot mechanic dub two one artifact creature, Fox pilot. This cruise vehicles as though it's power were too greater. Not a lot of text, but it is impactful text. I think, it being an artifact creature is probably the, the best part about this although the crewing thing does matter there's a lot of like crew three stuff that yep. that matters where if you play like old standard with stuff like heart of kieran uh having crew three it's just like it's kind of hard sometimes you know unless the format was specifically sculpted in a way with a bunch of like scrap beep scrounger type of stuff and like we, we don't have a bunch of automatic three power stuff that is good enough to play so you'd be like you know, struggling to find an extra body to go with your jackal pup to crew a thing, but this just kind of does an odd zone. I don't don't really like this mechanic in general. I think it's kind of silly, but uh, this thing does get the job done.
1: One of my least favorite mechanics is when a card says this is something it isn't. So like Devoid is my all-time least favorite mechanic because no, it's not a colorless card. I'm looking at the colors it takes to play it. And I just don't like that kind of exception-based design. So I get where you're coming from. On the power, were two greater thing being a little, eh. I, I just don't love it, but I do love this card. I think one of the best things it does is it just is happy to be a two-one artifact creature in decks that need a two-one artifact creature. And then when you get to your postboard games and you want something like Reckoner Bankbuster, it does the job of crewing. And I think that's really important to just have a self-contained one-drop that is ready to do that task, especially when you start dealing with like recursion effects or things like again. I don't expect this to be a major player in the format, but Oswald Fiddlebender turning up, you know, cheaper threats to use to crew this stuff. I was very impressed with the versatility of this card. Also don't ignore the fact that you get to crew your Asika's chariot for, you know, just a a measly two one. I think that's important. There's other crew for stuff. There's the, uh, Surge something mech that deals damage equal to double the number of vehicles you control.
0: Surge hacker mech, obviously. Surge <laughs> hacker mech. How could I not
1: know that? Yeah, I think that card is also quite good, especially when you're doing these heavy vehicle sideboard packages. Same. So I like hotshot mechanic hopping into that as well. But I do think it's main pull. It's an artifact 2-1 one for one mana. And that's its biggest job it can do. Everything else is just upside for me.
0: And it's it's so weird that it's like, Artifact pup is, is number four, but I do think that if if you have a white aggressive deck, you're probably going to be doing some amount of artifact-based stuff. I think like the traditional white aggro decks are still going to exist, but the, the artifact synergies are so powerful that this thing is going to show up in a lot of places.
1: I agree with you.
0: Number three, Lion Sash. One dub, one one. Artifact creature equipment cat. Got so much text dub exile target card from a graveyard if it was a permanent card put a plus one plus one counter on this equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each plus one plus one counter on this and you can reconfigure it for two mana i know that you are less high on this card than i am
1: well that's not quite true i i am high on this card especially in older formats you know stoneforge mystic finding this thing is gonna be my jam quite often
0: see i don't even think that's good
1: I don't know, the versatility of like having a Stoneforge mysticable piece of graveyard interaction is really exciting to me.
0: Like that is fine in a very small subset of archetypes, right? But it's like that compared to getting cauldron or a sword is just so much weaker a lot. Of
1: sure. Them, but wh- what about the fact that like you just have a bunch of two drops for your Aether Vial deck? I mean, that was that was kind of your thing. And when I built that deck, I really liked the way it turned out.
0: Fair. I mean, I'm I'm not over the mood about uh, Aether Vial Stoneforge mystic decks, you know?
1: Yeah, but I understand. So. I, I see what you're saying.
0: I, if if you're playing like a, a bunch of creatures and Vial is like the thing that you want to do, I I understand. You know, like this looks pretty good in the deck or whatever. But it's like the good part about Stoneforge Mystic is the you know very the threatening stuff. like Tinker thing, right? And this is just like well, it's, it's good in matchups where your Stoneforge is going to get killed 100 of the time. Yeah, so it's good. True. It's good to have. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that like. I'm not like, oh, this is a game changer. Stoneforge is busted now. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, Stoneforge might have already been quite good enough and didn't really need any help, but I I appreciate the versatility. In Standard, I think this card matters. I think it matters way more in artifact-focused decks, broken record. Is it because
0: this is also an artifact?
1: Yes, that has something to do with it. I know that's shocking. I think that in the two-mana slot in white decks in Standard, there's a lot of competition.
0: There is. and That's definitely true.
1: I am concerned that the smaller body of Lion Sash may not be enough to hold water with those because of the mana investment required to turn it into a large body. Now, some decks, it's exactly what you want. Again, artifact stuff that I built today, I was over the moon about this card. It was great. It was exactly where I wanted to spend any extra mana I had floating around. And uh, I actually wished I had more white sources so I could use it more effectively because it hits so much stuff. You just get constant buffs on it very easy to make it large and then very easy to move that largeness onto a more difficult to deal with creature. so it's gonna have a standard home i just think it's not going to slot in at the two drop slot everywhere which is fine i could still be a great card and not do that i would just have it you know somewhere around the five or six mark but like we said what does it matter all these cards are so similar in power level i'm fine with it being number
0: three I guess I could see like mechanic being over it because the decks are probably starting with mechanic and not necessarily playing four of this, but I could also see this showing up in places where mechanic doesn't. Yeah. But yeah. This, no, this thing just grows so easily, right? It's like, I don't know. Obviously the comparison to scavenging ooze is, is pretty easy to do and ooze started off as a 2-2, but like once you get your ooze to like four power, it's like you're, you're kind of just waiting for something to die to grow it again. Whereas this thing is just not really going to run out of gas ever. It's just going to get you? so huge, which I, which I think is very important for standard. And no
1: keyword, keyword, big, keyword, big matters a lot.
0: Yeah. And you know, that means that it can crew whatever the hell you want. It means that if you have an evasive creature, it's awesome. You can put it on a creature to like dodge a sweeper, which is pretty nice. And I, I agree with you that there's a lot of competition in the two drop slot. Like I was building Trying to build a mono white artifact deck with Oswald and was just like, why do I have twenty two drops? You know, it's like, it's just so awkward. And it's like, okay, which which ones are the worst? And because maybe you already have things like Reckoner Bankbuster and this, there's actually a lot of competition for things that you know you need a bunch of mana to utilize. And if you're playing like Mech hanger too, that's another one. Yeah. Uh, so some something's got to go and. Usually you don't need like the fourth line stash. You might not need the third one, but uh, I think that, you know, drawing the one copy per game is pretty impactful.
1: Your point that these decks are not going to be hurting for a mana sink. Very true. And it's been my experience thus far. So I expect, you know, that to somewhat downgrade this card. Again, not in a real meaningful way, just in terms of tempering your expectations. Would you like to guess the change I suggested for this card and I, I, think it, I think it would shock you. That's the hint I'll give you, and see if you can come up with what I wanted to do to this card. It's small. It's a small alteration.
0: I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at the knobs right, mm-hmm. and I think it, there's already a lot of text, especially since you need the reminder text. I don't think you can change permanent card to like you know X, Y, and Z thing instead of just permanent. Totally, I could see you changing like the reconfigure, but I don't think that's relevant to the combat conversation and then it's like I don't know making it an 1 or something but that feels bad so no I have no idea I don't think I, I want those sort of thing
1: I wanted it to be a two1 and yeah. my, my thought was like it, it is the best card in the set at that point but I was cool with it being the best card in the set because it showed off like one of the main mechanics it kind of made this Claim that white was able to participate in the game on the same axis as all these other colors because when you compare this card to Scavenger News, you're like, well, why does Scavenger News gets to start as a two two, and this is a one one? And you know, there's something to be said for all this other stuff this can do, obviously, in favor that Scavenger News can't do. Although Scavenger News, like you mentioned, can gain life that matters a bunch. <laughs> I don't think it gained much traction, but my idea was like just just push this one because it's one of the best cards you can push, I think. Like, it's such a good card to have be a part of your format. It actively disincentivizes problematic decks. It's super vulnerable to all kinds of removal, so you can incentivize playing, like, a Braid in the main deck, and it gets reset by Bounce. So I think it's just such a good card to have be your most powerful card in the set.
0: I, I don't disagree with any of that.
1: It just might do it at 1-1, though. So, like, that's an argument against doing it at 2-1.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is just, like, how, how much does that actually add? I also think, like, adding the second... Power disincentivizes you from like utilizing the ability, right? Because like maybe you don't need to as often.
1: Maybe that's a fair criticism.
0: So I don't know. I, I kind of like this where it starts off like pretty mediocre. You get to weave in a couple pumps over the next couple turns, and then when you run out of things to do, this can be massive. Uh, I, I sort of like that play pattern better than just like ah, you just like ignore it because it's already like a two one.
1: Yeah, this is already good. I, I feel that. Also, playing the few number of games with this card you love the, bl- how big the bluff equity is like, oh, right. not only they just, they
0: just can't block it, right? They because-
1: can't. Yeah. Because like scavenging news. Okay. You count the number of creatures in the graveyard. Well, there's one creature, so you're not getting bigger than that. Lion's is Like, well, if I dumped five mana into this, nobody on the battlefield could block this. So a uh, huge, huge bluff equity and you get a lot of free attacks. So maybe again, another argument in favor of keeping that base power a little bit lower and not just letting you get a free two every turn because of the threat.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I would say that it matters, but, like, obviously I haven't played any games yet, so I don't know if it actually matters. But uh, all, all the white decks wanting, like, Treasure Vault or Mech Hanger or the prototype kind of make this a little bit awkward. But, like, again, like the same thing was happening with Ooze, right, where it's like you would have three forests and two swamps or whatever. But, like, that that is definitely a thing to be aware of in the artifact decks where, like, maybe you can't just, like, fireball them every turn, but you can come pretty close. If we had, like, Chromatic Star, I would be, like, super in with, like, Oswald and all this other nonsense. Yeah,
1: yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I, I, was, I was looking for an artifact that just, like, upon binning gave you a card. And there's things like spare supplies, yeah. but you have to actually trigger its ability. It's not just when it goes to the graveyard.
0: I guess there's, so. like, Jack-O-Lantern. Maybe I have to look into that again.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one.
0: Or like, okay. you know, I, I don't have to look into it, but,
1: you know. No, you do now. Now you have an assignment. Look into Jack-O-Lantern.
0: Dude, I already did. There was a weird-ass deck in my article this week that I almost put a copy in. So Nice. Uh, all right, number two. Lizard Blades. 1R, 1-1. Artifact Creature. Equipment Lizard. <laughs> double Strike. It, it makes you laugh, right? It, it has to make you Very laugh. Very silly. Very <laughs> Equ- silly. Equipped Creature has Double Strike. Reconfigure 2. I think, I think what I personally undervalue double strike a little bit where it's like, ah, it's just going to get blocked, whatever. And for red deck specifically, I did the exact same thing that I did with Embercleave where I was like, what this wants you to go like wide and tall, like how big of a creature are you going to put this on? Like, is that actually going to matter? And I'm just like, oh yeah. Yeah. It, it does matter. You find a thing that's like two power. That's not that hard. This is adding a lot of damage. Yet anything bigger than that. You know, it's it's exponential, right? And then there's also a bunch of other reconfigure things and you're trying to modify your creatures. So I feel like this can get out of control pretty quickly.
1: I, I love Lizard Blades. I think this card's incredible. That being said, I am concerned that Rabbit Battery may be better. And that's not at all where my head was until I got to sit down and play some games. The flexibility of a one-mana reconfigure cost, especially one that just alters sizing lets you do some stuff yes and you, you get beneficial haste is incredible you get beneficial attacks haste on oswald failed but i can't believe we're talking about oswald so much that is not what i thought we'd be doing today but Dude, like i modern, played the card and it was all-star. so good modern it was, all-star it was so good i immediately i finished my game and immediately added another copy to my deck
0: but I'm, yeah i'm scared of like some of the cards that i'm gonna have to craft for this like i, I don't know how many oswalds i have i don't know how many Runeforge champions i have
1: yeah, I uh, I had most of them. So that yeah. is exactly my type of nonsense. So I was all set on that. And I got to, I, sp- I spent my $50. I guess that we owe people an updates. We debated whether we'd be buying in wholesale on Arena. I bought the pre-release pack thing where you get the 50 packs. I was able to, from that, craft these vehicle decks that I really wanted to work on. I think I'm done. I think, that, I think that's all I really needed to get from it. Like I have an archetype that I'm kind of laser focused in on. I was able to pull all the pieces very quickly and I'm content tinkering with that. And then other than that, observing the metagame and seeing where it settles. And that's that's a good place for my participation with Arena this go around.
0: Dude, I can't believe you didn't stream your pack opening.
1: Uh, it was not interesting at all. I mean, I do you like go through pack by pack and open them?
0: Well, I, I think you can just do the tens, but like, yeah. I don't know. In, in this instance where we're we're you know, before it would just be like, whatever, I'll just keep spending money until I have everything.
1: Now you think it matters, this go around.
0: It does because we're like actively complaining about it, trying to not give arena money. And I think that it does create a little bit of tension as far as like, do you have enough wild cards or did you open the right cards? You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really hit any of the cards I wanted. I, n- I noticed that as I was doing like the 10 that it, It wasn't the lizard blade showing up and it wasn't the, you know, various vehicles showing up. But I did know by the end of opening that I would have enough stuff to go craft them. And that's what I did. And that was that was the end of it. I mean, maybe I already had wild cards laying around. I didn't actually check before I started. But
0: I think I have 12. I think I have 12 rares. Okay,
1: you might go through them. There, there's definitely oh yeah. a lot of rares. Oh yeah. There's very little need for mythic as far as I'm concerned, but a lot of need for rares. But anyway, back to lizard blades. Lizard blades has sick combos, including with the last card we're going to talk about today. All the other reconfigured stuff, lion sash rabbit battery plays incredibly well with it. It has some weird creatures that it can crew up very nicely. The one I've been looking at is Voltaic Visionary, which is a card that I actually liked and then just sort of, didn't deliver but two mana four three that also gets you an additional card and then can pick up your lizard blades that works for me especially when i have other things i want to do with like a four crew cost i think the dual nature of that card in some of these decks is really appealing and it's just not that hard to make this card work and then there's the other side of the coin where this is the best recipient for something like michioko's reign of reign of something what is what is the end of that card reign of truth Reign of Truth, I got it, wow. Uh, Yeah, best possible recipient for that. You make a huge Lizard Blades and granted it gets kind of brick walled, you know, no evasion whatsoever. So you're better off sliding this onto something that can push that damage through more effectively, but you can do that. And on the whole, the reconfiguring mechanic impressed me with its flexibility. Like I said, I think Rabbit Battery is a card to watch that might ultimately prove better than Lizard Blades just for how easy it is to bounce around to various places. I had an opener where I drew... Uh, triple rabbit battery into mind link mech. And it was awesome. I was just like, you can never block me. My <laughs> creature It's big as it my opponent played Moonvale veil region on turn three. And I'm like, well, I'll just make this stupid mind link mech even bigger. And you still can't block. So yeah. a lot of flexibility in how you set up your creatures to attack.
0: I like rabbit battery a lot. Uh, I think that lizard blades will probably show up in more places. And it, you know, equipment lizard is funny, but there, there's also like Kami's Flare that
1: mm-hmm. could have
0: made the list, uh, yes. which is one R instant three damage to a creature planeswalker, and then if you have a modified thing, it deals two to them. And I think that that card is extremely powerful too. But all of these are like oh modified red cards, you know. And, and there's just five, six, seven like <laughs> really busted cards for really that sort ones. of deck. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the ones where it, it takes some rares that are mostly by themselves. So if there is a deck that I don't get to actually trying, it'll probably be that one just because I'll have to like craft all the stuff kind of on an island. Yeah. And I don't imagine that I will get there with just the the $50 spent, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, I, I might be close. I think I might be able to put together like a I have a version of mono red uh, modified kicking around in my head that seems pretty promising. So I, I think I can get that one together. I'll report back on it and let you know how it is.
0: All right. Number one, Mind Link Mech. 2U, 4-3 artifact vehicle flying. Whenever this becomes crewed for the first time each turn, until end of turn, this becomes a copy of target non-legendary creature that crewed it this turn. Except it's 4-3, it's a vehicle artifact in addition to its other types, and it has flying. And it has crew one. So very low crew cost. Works well with lizard blades and rabbit battery. A lot of like weird text to just be like this. This will gain uh, probably an ability, you know, uh, which is which is cool. And I guess uh, you know why it's rare and everything. But I wish there was a way to simplify this. It's so weird.
1: Yeah, that would be nice. But ultimately, I love what I get out of this card. The crew one on a big big threat. Awesome. It means that whatever ability you want to get onto your mind link mech, whatever is important to you for what you're doing. You can make work. You proposed to me Lotus Cobra, which I thought was like, I don't know if it's good, but it, it's cool as hell. And the fact that you can do that type of stuff where you're just making a mana engine from your mind link mech is exciting. There's probably a bunch of other weird stuff, but my focus was on rabbit battery, lizard blades. They curve so beautifully into Mindlink mech. And then you're solidly in it? So you get to play expressive iteration. Your deck is cheap, loaded with card advantage, very aggressive. I kind of drowned my opponent to dust in post-board games when I added more vehicles, again, Bankbuster, as well as the Surge Hacker Mech. And that's a real plan as far as I'm concerned. I, I think you can put those three cards together and end up with a very viable deck. There's something to be said for this card with our 2-1 uh, Artifact, Crewer, not that you need the help to crew this, but just like all these pieces fit very well together. These are the packages that I think are going to define this set all the artifact interlocking pieces uh the card advantage that comes from the artifact it just seems like if if this wasn't the artifact set i i can't imagine what the artifact set will be and we know there's an artifact set coming that's what's probably most exciting about all these cards they should all 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 get substantial payoffs as we head into a deeper standard so i think kamigawa's influence is going to be immediate but i also expect it will be long term
0: it is very clearly to me an artifact set because just there are a bunch of cards like in- Ingenious Smith and Oswald's like another solid one where it's just like you're suddenly looking at all the artifacts that are legal and all the synergies and building around them and like in theory this is also you know it's got like ninjutsu and some Enchantment Matter stuff and I've I've just like mostly ignored it because there's some stuff that's appealing but the artifact stuff is just like so heavy and so good. And the, the other stuff is like, well, if you work really, really hard, maybe you get a minor payoff and all of this stuff is like, you know, vehicles and reconfigure stuff. It's, it's all busted. It promotes, promotes like super aggressive decks that also have a bunch of card advantage and interaction, which are probably like my favorite decks to play and also the ones that end up usually being the best in their respective formats when they're good. So I think it's just a, pretty clear definition of, of where we should be headed where standards should be headed.
1: Mindlink mech is getting backed up by spell pierce added in this set, which is important Yep, there. As I mentioned already exists expressive iteration. So your package is backed up by the best piece of card advantage available. I think there's other blue card advantage engines you could potentially explore. You mentioned inspired idea, which I think wasn't inspired idea. In fact, there's, there's cool stuff to be done there. So I am really excited for what this set can offer to what has been a very stale standard paradigm, mostly by what it's doing at the lower end of the curve. Because not only are the lower end cards aggressive, it's easy to design good low end cards that are aggressive. But these are the type of cards that lead to fun, interesting, long games. And more than anything, that's what I'm hoping for from Kamigawa. It's its legacy to kind of return standard to something that can be about more synergistic decks and decks that do want to play towards a late game that isn't just, here's my seven mana thing, what are you going to do about it? If, if we get that from Kamigawa, it will have over-delivered for sure. And it's also doing all of this with the backdrop of being a hugely impactful uh, Eternal format set. I, I've even heard like pauper players who are over the moon about how deep this set goes. So there's something for everyone in this set I think it's the best set in a long time and maybe I have some bias when I'm saying that, but I I promise you my impact on this set is so minuscule that it's not driven by like hubris and me thinking I made a good set. I had almost nothing to do with anything you see here. So uh, that's not, that's not what's happening. It's just, I think it's that good. I I really do. I think they nailed it with this one.
0: Yeah. I I think whenever we get to do a top 10 list and it's like, it's hard to fit all the cards on the top 10 list and what order they're in maybe doesn't matter because the power level is relatively flat and it gets like our creative juices flowing and everything. I mean, that's, that's kind of it for me is that there's a bunch of different stuff that is viable and looks fun to do. And it doesn't look like anything is, you know, super absurd or is the only thing that you should be doing or anything. And then, yeah, you have uh, cards like prototype, which, certainly go back to modern and I would think that it's like a net good thing because a lot of the artifact decks are kind of like swimming in tier two right now yeah. and they could use the help, but like it is also a card that could potentially be busted. So who knows? And then for formats like pioneer, I think that the set is high enough power level to actually get a lot of cards into that format too. As far as like poppers concerned, I I, I don't really pay attention to like, you know, what's common in a set or whatever. And I, I know that they just, went through some bans and their their format is probably a little bit more reasonable now so that's good for them too.
1: What do you think something i proposed in my article was that this focus on artifacts was one of the reasons why they were able to deliver a more powerful set despite not really looking like anything's broken here is there anything to that like do you think some of the some of the extra vulnerabilities that cards like say mindlink mech or lion sash pick up does it allow them to push a little bit harder and to make the cards more exciting?
0: When when you have the tools available to fight those things, yes. And looking back, like Portable Hole is maybe part of the problem where it fits into a lot of the synergies, but like that that can tag artifacts. Uh, a Braid was already good enough to see play. You have things like Prismari Command, uh, Skyclave Apparition, Thieving Skydiver is one that wasn't seeing play. That probably will. Like a, a Null is in the set. So... There, there are so many things that exist that can fight these cards, and it's like, well, if you go all in on artifacts, you might just get punished because Prismari Command will do a lot of damage to you, you know? So certainly when you have all those stopgaps kind of in place, it matters a lot, and there are also a decent amount of plants for this set, too, like Portable World, and Ingenious Smith. So I think that that helped, too, where you get to kind of, like, revitalize these old cards, you're yeah. incentivized to play with the new cards, but there are still answers already... Uh, that exists for them, you know, it's like, I I wouldn't be shocked if there was, like, a really good artifact hate card in the next set, but we we don't really need it right now because there's a bunch of disenchants that already exist that are pretty good on rate. So this this all seems like it's going to be fairly healthy and nothing's going to really get out of control.
1: Yeah, this kind of feels like the realization of the vision they probably had for this standard. Yeah. And I I think, like... With some missteps along the way And and some unfortunate timing And maybe a focus on like a solution That ultimately wasn't the right way To go about it I I think Alchemy bears some of the blame For what has happened to Standard Ultimately though if we get to a good place That's all I care about And I know I, I woke up today Excited to open Arena Play some games I haven't felt that in a long time So that tells me the set did its job Agreed That's game Look.